What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. Pac-12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up, This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. Apostles. The Pac-12 is at a crossroads right now. Will the conference expand? Will it stand pat? Preseason media polls are out. Oh, we're ranked here. We're ranked there. Who has it right? Coach David Shaw, his salary was through the roof. And there have been a couple of Pac-12 arrests that have just absolutely, you know, been impactful for multiple schools. And we have an interview with head coach of the Stanford Cardinal, David Shaw himself. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles is the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans who love the game and want to get the real, no sugarcutting, no BS is allowed, just like on the Reister Wrong podcast. Uh, Ralph, are you excited, man? We're like a couple weeks away from football. I'm very excited. I'm I'm excited and nervous at the same time because you see the COVID numbers start to tick back up again. Um, you got a variant out there, and I just I want kids to be able to start school. I want football to to be able to get cracking. I I don't want any more delays. So if you can be safe, courteous, cautious, and uh, and 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 let's get this uh this covid stuff out of here so that we can just enjoy some football my wife just said george you know football is going to be disrupted again this year for high school right i was like no it's not no it's not <laughs> because we've yeah, been we, getting- we gotta manifest some positivity 
<laughs> it's been bad enough. I mean, I just I moved out here to North Carolina. They just finished. They just finished a spring season. They're turning around about to start a fall season here in a couple of weeks, and they don't want to have to go back to that spring stuff. I don't think anybody out here enjoyed it. Uh, where I came from, Phoenix, none of those teams in Phoenix were able to play. Some of the the teams more out in the Valley and stuff were able to get some games in, but even that was super interrupted. I never want to have a season like that again, so hopefully we can just – Think positive, do the right thing, and and get through this. Right? I mean, we're under – like, everything's going to be dependent upon people being considerate of other people, doing the right thing, and not just believing that they are in- invincible, which we've seen in, in, in the last year. And there have been notable people who've passed away from COVID, and people still want to act like that – Ah, oh man, the numbers percentages are so low. Yeah, but though somebody's got to be in that percentage. Do you want it to be you or your family or your loved one? I think that that's the thing that we're that that we're at. But do you think that they that there will be any disruption in the Pac-12 schedule this year because so many of the teams are either fully vaccinated or very close to it and yeah. Do, do you think we'll have any disruption or miss cancel games? It depends on what the rules are, because I feel like the Delta variant is more infectious, period, based on what I've read. You have some breakthrough cases and, you know, it, it just really depends on what the rules are as far as what you have to do as a team if you do have a positive test. Like if you're vaccinated, do you have to quarantine? Do you have to sit out? Do you have to wait for a negative test? Um, Because, you know, I I read an article right before we started that for the very first time, you're starting to see kids hospitalized because the the, uh, viral load of the Delta variant among uh, unvaccinated populations, which includes everybody's kids under the age of of 12, because it hasn't been approved for kids under 12 yet, um, that you know, it, it's starting to have adverse effects on them. And that was never really a thing that happened before this. And so um, if you have the possibility of young, healthy athletes getting sicker than the previous variation of, of COVID um, was making them, but you also have the ability to shield some of that out with your vaccinated populace, it just it really just matters what the plan in place is. And one thing that we learned last year is that it's not really up to the California schools what the plan in place is. Yep. They have the ability to get displaced. So if things continue to trend the way that they're trending, California might take drastic measures yet again, which, you know, would would ultimately take things out of the hands of the four Pac-12 schools that play in the state of California. So there's so many variables, so many things that are completely dependent on things that are outside of the players' controls. So the only thing that they can really control is whether or not they get vaccinated and whether or not they're um, cautious and healthy and practicing good hygiene and and making sure who comes in and out of the program um, and, and make sure they have available testing and everything like that. It, it just it, it everything feels like we're trending back toward what we were used to last year. And so it I think as long as some of these schools say, hey, if we're vaccinated, then it's just going to be a triage situation. We'll make sure there's adequate testing. And if somebody tests positive, they test positive. If somebody 
um, if somebody is around somebody who tests positive, but they're vaccinated, you know, we have a plan in place for that as well. It just battles are going to be completely one in preparation here. And I want to trust that the PAC 12 and George Klyavkov, even though they have a bunch of other stuff going on, have their eye on the ball because you don't want to lose games early in the season, have everything delayed, you know, and then again, it could be completely taken out of their hands by the NCAA at large. So my hope is that we start to see things, um, trend back downward as more people get vaccinated. We start to see the, that, that the upswing in deaths that usually follows the upswing in hospitalizations doesn't happen because if that doesn't happen, then that lets you know that this virus is still making people really sick but the the really nasty effects that happened throughout the last 18 months are going away due to the fact that um, so many people have their immune systems have either had practice in fighting the virus off See, the first time or in in through the vaccination. Yeah. See, I'm looking. I, I don't think that there will be any games lost in the Pac-12. I think that shutting down is a non-starter for most governors, right? And and for for most states. I think that they would put mandatory vaccinations in place before before anything got shut down. I think shutting down is the last option that they're going to use. And you have to remember too is that some of these California schools especially, they have uh vaccine mandates for kids to return back to school like they the uh, the private schools do for sure and my my daughter goes to lmu they're like you're not stepping foot back on this campus unless you have a vaccine period you can go to school online there there are other options but you're not coming back on this this campus so i think that that lends itself to the public at large saying, all right, look, we want to stay as normal as possible and we aren't going to let people who are unvaccinated dictate what we should or should not do. Uh, so so I don't think that we'll miss games or anything like that. Um, but now on to the next thing. The commissioner Kliakoff, he met with the big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowsley, for over six hours. And there was people running around. Oh, my God, the Pac-12 is going to join the Big 12. And I was like, if George Kliakoff did that, allowed the the eight teams that are left in the Big 12 to come over to the Pac-12 or even any portion of them, he should be fired immediately. Like, he should be absolutely fired because that would be negligence. That would be Larry Scott and level negligence that's quite a strong opinion please expand big the okay so right now in tv media rights the pac-12 pays out 24 million dollars per school just the the media rights alone and the uh, big 12 pays out 28 million dollars for that and they the big 12 commissioner out of his own mouth said that that is accounted for about 50% of that is because of Texas and Oklahoma. So that's $14 million for the rest of the entire rest of the conference for eight teams. So eight teams are worth less than $2 million each, right? So now if you bring them over to the Pac-12, 
they actually lower even with new media rights. They lower the value of the school. They lower the value of the payouts. Like none of those teams that are left, not Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas State, uh, any of them. Oklahoma State moved the needle enough for the Pac-12 to be able to negotiate bigger media rights. That's why I said it would be negligent. Not even with Kansas being a basketball powerhouse most of the time. What does basketball have to do with money? I, 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 I saw John John Wilner talking about, he said out of every dollar that comes in the Pac-12, 85 cents of that is football, 15 cents is basketball. So are we going to make a decision on Kansas based on basketball when, when their football would, would be a leech, a leech to the conference? No, Nobody wants to watch Kansas in the Big 12, so they damn sure don't want to watch them in the Pac-12. Okay. Um, what about having a school like Texas Tech give you the ability to recruit in Texas and tell these kids that you're going to get them back out to Texas to play in front of family and everything like that? What about opening up the recruiting ground in Texas even more by having a Texas team in the Pac-12? I think that that's reasonable, right? Texas and TCU. I think that there is a case for for that. But then you have to think, okay, what kids are Texas Tech and TCU getting? They're not getting five-star kids. They're not getting the high four-star kids coming out of Texas. They're getting three-star kids in Texas. So so how does that translate into the Pac-12 being able to be have a Texas pipeline into elite recruiting? That's where I think that 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 argument, even though it's reasonable, I think that's where it kind of loses a little bit of value is when you really look at the type of recruit, because the five star guy in Texas isn't going to isn't going to Texas Tech. He's not going to TCU. He's not going to Baylor. Even the even the high four star guy is not. So that that's my only thing with it is that I don't think that it add that those teams that are left add any value to the Pac-12. And that's why Kle- uh, Commissioner Kliakoff would be super, super negligent if he did that. Well, but what if other conferences came in and raided the Big 12? You wouldn't be worried that the Pac-12 just stood still and, and, and did nothing? No, there's a, a a saying from my old radio partner, Brett Winterbull, who said, don't do something because when when things start to get stirred up, everybody's always like, we, we, we got to do something. We got to do something. We got to do something. No, don't do something. Do the right thing. And the right thing is not just adding teams for the sake of adding teams. The right thing is to add teams that add value. I mean, if you look at the Big 12 from 2021 in recruiting rankings, right? Yeah. Aside from Oklahoma and Texas, which finished um, in uh, Oklahoma, finished 10th on 24-7 and Texas finished 15th. The next school is Oklahoma State at 30. And then the next school after that is West Virginia at 40. 
Then after that, you got Baylor at 46. And we're talking about Baylor only had two four-star recruits. West Virginia had three four-star recruits. And Oklahoma State had two four-star recruits. So when we talk about the state of Texas, I mean, these schools aren't getting that elite talent anyway. So what does that add value to the Pac-12? You would open up recruiting ground for them as well. I mean, it'd be mutually beneficial if if a Baylor or a Texas Tech could tell a California kid like, hey, we're going to go be in California twice a year. Yeah, that it, it. I'm saying it helps them more than it helps the Pac-12 because the, the Big 12 schools are desperate at this point. They need a home. They are homeless. Well, no, no, no. They aren't homeless yet. They are. They, they got an eviction notice. And they have to figure out to how to pay this PPP loan back that they that they messed up. Yeah, uh, I don't know. And it's we're focusing on recruiting as well when recruiting is at least for the next three years going to be different than than anything we've ever experienced because we're probably trending toward fifty fifty as far as the importance of the transfer portal versus the actual um, uh, commits from graduating high school seniors. We're, we're probably trending toward a half and half as far as just the, the, the importance of that. Um, and once that happens, then we're only looking at 12 to 13 players per cycle that some of these teams are going to be going after. In fact, if you look at just last year's um, – signings there were several schools that had less than 15 or 15 or less tcu was one of them indiana had 14 arizona state had 14 and i think that that's just going to be the trend from from here on out is you're going to see teams bringing in 15 or less graduating seniors and leaving 10 spots open to see who they can get that might be disgruntled um, or trying to follow coaches moving from one place to another and uh, so we, one thing you do have to look at is would an alliance with a couple more big 12 schools open up more possibility for um, uh, benefits from the transfer portal. And that's just something we don't have enough of a picture of or an example of to be able to factor in at this point, but it's going to be a major factor two, three years down the road. And that's why for the PAC 12, I think the best, the optimal scenario for the Pac-12 as a as a whole. I'm not talking about I- individually because there are some schools that can make some individual moves. You could have Oregon, Washington, Stanford, UCLA, USC, and Cal because they're all four of them are kind of tied to together. Like all six of them could go to the Big Ten. That would be great addition to the to the Big Ten. But then that would obviously leave Utah, Colorado, Oregon State, Washington State, and the two Arizona schools in a a huge lurch, right? But uh, assuming that everybody doesn't operate on what is in their own individual best interest and operates on what's on the conference's best interest, if George Kliakoff can keep everybody on that page – then I think the optimal scenario is to create some sort of scheduling alliance that almost like a East Coast, West Coast, mid, uh, if it involved the ACC 
or Midwest West Coast Scheduling Alliance because they, that's the only way that you're going to be able to match the media money that some of these other that the SEC is going to be able to command. And then you can get Fox on board. You can get CBS on board. If you have, if they know that they're going to get Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State, which are their three biggest, and and with Wisconsin, which are their four biggest brands, against Oregon, USC, UCLA, um, Stanford, Cal, on a regular, and Washington on a regular basis, some sort of, those matchups for TV in non-conference or even quote unquote conference play as well. I think that that is a huge expansion of revenue dollars available to both of those conferences. I think that that's where the PAC 12 should be looking is to partner with the big 10 and find a way to tell the big 10, yo, here's how we can add value to, to you and to your bottom line. Because I think that that's the only way that you can sell it is people saying, all right, cool. If we team up, now there's more money for everybody. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think the the Pac-12 is lucky that some of these presidents aren't more greedy than they are because the more I think about it, it's really the PAC 12 that could be at risk here. Like if, if you, if you think about the fact that USC could just leave 
let's say USC was like, we want to go to the Big Ten. We want to be the only school in California in the Big Ten. Then immediately they have a huge financial advantage and the Pac-12 is massively wounded. But let's say the Big Ten wanted to, or let's say the Big 12 came came to some Pac-12 teams and said like, hey, you guys don't even have distribution. Your kickoff times are absolutely absurd. David Shaw said himself that those aren't good for for student athletes, like we can give you an immediate financial boost. And I know that we're, you know, our, our TV rights might not be as good, but Hey, Arizona, Arizona state and Colorado, Utah, do you want to come over? Like the, the, the big 12 could make a survival play in going after PAC 12 teams. And ultimately like what would happen to the PAC 12 if USC just decided that it was going to pull a Texas. Well, the only problem with that for USC is, is that they can, compete in so many Olympic sports that they don't in the, in the big 10. So I think, and then USC doesn't have, have hockey, you know? So, so I think that that would be a, like a weird move for USC, but should they consider it and consider the possibility? Absolutely. And if the PAC 12 plays this right, they have a chance to come up in this situation situation because um i was reading about where the uh the, the commissioners i forget for, from which conference where they were saying that the one thing that the sec did in in taking texas and oklahoma is that they united all of the other conferences or at least the three other conferences in the big 12 big 10 and uh pac 12 and wanting to make sure that they are aligned against the sec. So the sec put a target on the, on their backs. And then we're, we're hearing rumors that the sec is now trying to get Clemson and Florida state too. Do you realize how, if they get Clemson and Florida state, all of the other conferences are going to have to say, all right, cool. You know what? We are going to all unite. And f y'all, and figure out a way to do it. I, and and I think that we're very close to the uniting of the other conferences in doing what's best because the Big Ten schools, like er, er, like people, constantly forget that the Big Ten is the most powerful conference. They are. Like, yes, the SEC's won a bunch of championships, but the Big 12 generates more money than anybody. The Big they have the best fan attendance, the, the biggest alumni bases, all of that. Okay, well, okay, so let's look at it this way. Let's say that that does happen. Let's say that Clemson and Florida State jump ship to go to the SEC. At some point, you as other conferences have to realize that no matter what, whoever comes out of your conference is regardless of whether the, the schedule was more difficult or less difficult or whatever is going to gain respect. Like someone's just going to be better positioned. So if let, let's say the uh, PAC 12 was to lose USC and then maybe they find a, a team to replace USC or something like that uh, for Complete hypothetical argument's sake, let's say it's San Diego State, so that they continue to have four California schools in the Pac-12. 
You could say to yourself, oh, well, we need to go and chase a bigger brand to replace USC. Or you can say to yourself, like, hey, at the end of the like, after you get a couple of years into this, college football fans are just going to see a team that goes 10 and 2 or 11 and 1. And then they're going to give them that brand equity for doing so. Like the the teams that that rise to the top and take advantage of the gaps that are left by other schools chasing money are going to have the opportunity to win more. And if they do it consistently, then they might have the ability to grow their brand to be at at, at that point. The problem but is it could that be- it takes too long. It, that, that, it takes a decade, dude. I mean, look at all the winning that Oregon has done, plus having Nike but behind them. Yeah, they're a national brand, but it, it's still not quite as strong in terms of in terms of the perception of the national media, I think I I don't think it takes a decade. I think if you if you play your cards right, I think you can do it in three years. What yeah, happens? You, you have to be able to recruit five star players to be able to to win like that. I mean, on a consistent basis and beat big schools, you have to be able to to do that. What happens? So I'll give you a situation. What happens if Iowa State goes to another New Year's Six Bowl after will, after after having a year of hype and then meeting that hype? And then if they do it one more time, they will be if they do it again, they will be on the cusp of doing something bigger. Like it, it's still not going to put them in contention for. uh for national championships. It's not because they still can't recruit at that at that level. Ralph, Iowa State, like, yes, they're a good program. A lot of people think that they're a top 10 team this year, but they're still a long way away from being a powerhouse. And I think that where you mentioned San Diego State, there have been talks of, yeah, you, you can build something up. Yeah, you could build something up, but it, it's – a matter of revenue immediately in 2024 that you're going to have to be able to sell in 2022 when you go renegotiate these these rights. So I think that that's the issue. But what do you think that the Pac-12 should be doing to increase its visibility and reach as it relates to the other conferences? I mean, the best thing that they can do, and and they own the broadcast rights to these games that are on Pac-12 Network, correct? Yep. The best thing that they can do is, as the rights owner and rights holder of those, is stream those games on social media platforms for free. Because that... What what else are you going to do? They're locked into they're backed into a corner and locked in with all the distribution issues and and carriage issues and everything through the end of this contract. So they're basically saying if you have YouTube TV, if you have Hulu, um, if you have Direct TV, then it's it's a no go until we refigure all this stuff out. In the like in the meantime, why not drop a couple of games for free on social media each week? I'm not saying do all of them, but a couple a week on Facebook or or you know Periscope or or whatever else it is, just to get more people who couldn't access those games the ability to access those games. Especially now that people have easy access to gaming, which would make it more fun. Maybe if it was one of those late night games, um, 
that's the only thing that I can think of right now. The there is a one way to get more notoriety for your conference. And that's just let these rumors keep dropping that you're having meetings with different teams and different people and then never actually do anything with it, but just use the drama to keep your conference consistently in the public um, conversation. But I'm not sure what the long-term effects or benefits um, of that would be anyway. Yeah. So we'll see what the conference does, but which conference do you think, has the most potential to help the Pac-12. I think it's the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten on a scheduling agreement, do you think anything beyond that? No, no. I don't think there's a full, um, you know, jump ship because it it just doesn't make sense. I think the Pac-12 is uniquely positioned. If they can get the visibility up, and then to add other uh, other teams like people have proposed BYU. I don't think that BYU is a fit. I like the fact that they have a huge fan, huge passionate fan base, all of that. I just don't think that some of their beliefs are going to jive necessarily with what the Pac-12 chooses to do going going forward like some schools are going to have alcohol at games there is more like you you know so it's going to create a problem with some of the things that BYU stands for which are not necessarily wrong it's just I think that there could be conflicts there that don't prove to be as that will prove more problematic than they will advantageous I'd like to see him just get over it just get over it. Like, eh. understand that people are different and they still have to interact and and then, you know, have a, a situation like I'm. I'm a Mountain West fan. Before that, you know, you had um, the whack and and all that other stuff. But I'm from Wyoming. Wyoming and BYU are huge rivals. But then BYU and anybody they play is a huge rival, and it's always a big deal to try to beat BYU, whether that's in Provo or to have their fans always show up where and show out wherever, especially in the West. You know, I don't know. I think that it could it, it would be interesting. It would certainly be more more interesting than like when Colorado was added without really any natural West Coast rivalries built in. You know, I'm not saying that that BYU is better than Colorado. What I'm saying is that it would be more interesting that's all yep well we will see what ultimately happens let's just hope i mean because george kliakoff i was talking to oregon's athletic director last saturday when i was up there for saturday night live and i was like george kliakoff's legacy is going to be decided within the first 18 months now that Conference realignment is there. There's the there is the TV contracts, how long, the streaming, all of this. Like, do you do you agree with that? That 18 months is the timeline that we will either our minds will be made up whether he's a good commissioner or a bad commissioner. Um, well, that's assuming that by then he would have struck the next deal, right? Yeah. But if he hasn't yet, and it's still not within the window of that needing to actually come to fruition. 
then the jury might still be out. That's the only way that I could really determine if the jury's still going to be okay, out. Okay, which is which do you think is going to be a bigger determining factor? Conference realignment and how he handles that or the TV contracts? I think first and foremost, you'll be able to judge him by the interviews that he gives and the access that he grants, which I firmly believe in the next three to four months after he gets done going on his listening tour and he starts to meet with a lot of the different um, uh, people in media. And I have no doubt that we'd probably try to get him on here as well. I think the more exposure people have to him, the more that he'll be able to present a really stark difference between himself and Larry Scott. And I think his ability to identify and outline problems will mean that he will lay before him. Here are 10 goals. And then we're going to start achieving them one at a time. And so he'll actually give you the ability to see the direction of the conference through his eyes and put in uh, sort of graduated marks of success. I think he will create the metric. I don't think that it really has to be done by like, what are these two big issues? The only thing we could judge him on right now is USC and Oregon haven't left the conference. Like that. <laughs> so every every day that goes by that that hasn't happened yet, that's his first victory. But I think once we get to know him a little bit better, he's the type of guy that will tell you what he intends to achieve rather than mystery is your greatest friend, which was Larry Scott's whole thing, which is, hey, you don't know what could be happening. You know, that's door number two. <laughs> yeah. Door number two is is something you should be excited about, but wouldn't define what the possibilities behind door number two would be or what anybody could expect because he didn't have anything. Um, I, so I, I think that there will be a lot more things by which to judge him than just the major, major issues that we're facing right now, because even those will be time will tell situations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, that's funny as hell. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, But you guys, though, up next, we have a special gift. Um, I was able to interview David Shaw on my serious show on Mad Dog Sports Radio. And here is my interview with David Shaw. Coach Shaw, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. So this is obviously, we're right around the corner from football season. We didn't think that we would be in a similar situation to uh, we were last year at this point in time with COVID and everything else. Um, What is it like for you and your program coming into camp, kind of dealing with the same, some of the same issues as we were last year? Well, first of all, we are much better than we were last year. I think we're more informed. Got a bunch of guys vaccinated. Not everybody, but a bunch of guys vaccinated. We made it through last year without a single positive test on our team. So uh, I know we have a good track record of doing the right things. And now with the Delta variant and whatever else comes our way, we just have to operate uh, within the boundaries that we have. We're better than we were before, but the coronavirus is not completely gone. So we still have to be smart about what we do. You know, we need to have everybody healthy, everybody available for these games. And uh, so now we're we're going to it with our eyes open. It's not what we would like for it to be, but it's much better than what it was. Yeah, last, last season for you guys was unique because you actually had to leave home. You had to go somewhere else to go play football and then you were on the road at Washington and then I believe Oregon State or vice versa and you guys were practicing or doing walkthroughs in parks and parking lots and you guys were able to win games like how did what what did that do for the camaraderie of your team and also what did that show you about the guys that you have I think you saw in our women's basketball team also um, becoming national champions. Didn't play perfectly down the stretch, but every difficult moment got them an opportunity to be great. Uh, and that's what we looked at last year. Every difficult moment, every every notice from our county that said, hey, you can't do this. You were doing this, but you can't do this anymore. Our guys became very adjustable, right? We stopped worrying about anything other than what can we do? And then when we get a chance to do what we love to do, which is go out there and play this game of football, we give it our all. So all the circumstances honestly brought us closer together made us really accountable to each other because anybody that did the wrong thing could affect the entire football team. So our guys held each other accountable, held each up to a high standard, and our guys really came through. And all those difficult circumstances, being kicked out of the county and taking a really four-game road trip and going 4-0, and our guys took a lot of pride in that. You guys are always at the bottom of the conference in terms of offers given out. And then there are other schools that have given out 400 plus plus offers. Is there a, aside from the admission standards, do you think that like, what do you think about the amount of offers that other schools give out considering that so few of them are actually committable, which I don't like. Yeah. And that's what we've been able to do really well our players that we recruit respect us, partially because of our process and our honesty. We will offer the number of scholarships that we have. We don't over-offer, but we'll contact guys and say, hey, you know what? We really like you. Here's what it's going to take to get to Stanford. You're on our list. And it's not that you're secondary to the guys that we've offered. 
we've just offered enough now that we can't overoffer. We may lose a guy. Some some guy may go someplace else. Somebody maybe not get into school. And then we're going to come back to you if that spot does become available. So it's not that you're less than anybody that we've offered. It's the fact that we're doing this thing the right way. And so many of those guys look at that. Initially, of course, they're offended. But then they're like, wait, how many of these offers do I have that aren't really committable offers, as you said? So for me, they look at us and say, wow, you guys are actually honest with me, telling me the truth. I may have 20 offers, but really that might be eight, you know, eight truly committable offers. So then they're not really offers. Back in the old days, we called those noffers, like non-offers. There's an integrity that we believe in. There's a process. I, I call it the game show. We don't play the game show. Like who's going to take this first? You get one offer, you get an offer, no, but it doesn't really matter because the first three guys come. Uh, that makes no sense to me. So we operate with integrity and honesty, and we're very upfront about our process and our student athletes that we recruit and their parents really appreciate that. Speaking of that, of that honesty, I wanted to ask you about the process of being at Stanford because your guys are always in their own class. Like, even if you probably should have redshirted in four years, we, 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 we've seen so many guys who were seniors who had a chance to get an extra year or still have a year of eligibility re- remaining transfer out of Stanford, but they stayed there all their years. So it seems like that they were happy there. So can you explain to people how it actually works at Stanford and why you do have so many seniors transfer out when they technically do still have eligibility left and could have used a red shirt? I really appreciate that question. I'm glad you asked it. And I'd love to say this to many people as possible. Uh, We haven't had a single undergraduate transfer my entire time. We haven't had a guy to leave before he graduates. Partially because of what you said, our guys like it here. They do well here. They came here to get a Stanford degree in Stanford education. And to, to a man, they've been able to do that. Now, I have an open philosophy with our guys and say, hey, you know what? If you're going to be a fifth year senior, to me, that means you've graduated. You've done everything the program has asked you to do. You're in great academic standing, great standing with the football program. But you find a better situation out there for you. Not only are you allowed, of course, by NCAA rules, I'm going to help you. So I'll call, I'll make calls for these guys. Say, hey, you know, don't 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 be a backup for me as a fifth year senior. If there's a place that you could start, you got a guy like Devery Hamilton, uh, who's a really good football player, and our spot for him was going to be guard. He could say, coach, I really want to play tackle. I want to play tackle. I'm like, okay, great. Let's find a place where you can start a tackle. Here's Duke, good friend of mine, uh, Dave Cutcliffe at Duke. They got a spot at right tackle for they needed a guy. Great. I'm glad that worked out for Debra, right? He did everything I needed him to do for four years, played well, did well in the in the classroom, graduated on time. And now I felt like I owed him that opportunity. So we've had so many guys that as a fifth year senior, if you don't want to compete for a spot on our team, but you, there's another spot in another environment someplace else, I say, great, go do it. I think coaches should be encouraging that because these guys have given themselves to us for four years and graduated. Then as a college graduate, I should not be able to tell this guy what to do. He should be able to do what he thinks is best for himself. So over the years, we've had multiple guys that look and say, hey, yeah, I could be the I could be the second receiver there or the or the or the backup guard or play a position that I don't want to play, or I can find a better opportunity. Now these guys are walking out with their Stanford degree and a great opportunity to play football someplace else. How do you balance that? Because a lot of coaches would operate out of selfishness in that situation. No, I want I want the depth. I want the, you know, the 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 starter at guard. And a lot of people don't don't know that you guys were super short on scholarships. Like you you guys were nowhere close to 85 scholarships the uh the uh, spring season th- this year. So how do you balance having a full roster versus, you know, trying to do what's best for the kids? We've never been at 85 scholarships my entire time here. So I I'm not, I don't worry about it. I am here for the student athletes. 
whatever is best for them, that's what we should do. What's also my responsibility is make sure that we do have enough depth. We may have a spring or two, like we did a couple of years ago, where we weren't very deep in spring, but we are incoming freshman class is pretty doggone good, right? So it's it's up for me to make sure that we are replenished guys. If guys leave, that we have guys coming back to take those jobs. And I think we've done an outstanding job being able to uh, do what's best for the student athletes uh, on our on our on our team, and also those that leave our team but also making sure that we are bringing in the right caliber of student athletes that if we need them to come in and play early, much like we have last couple of years, our guys come in and ready to play early. You guys, we're on with Coach David Shaw, Stanford football head coach. Coach, you spent a long time, you know, on Pac-12 side sidelines. Your uh, dad, Willie Shaw, was a longtime D- DB coach at ASU and then defensive coordinator at, at Stanford. And now we're looking at conference realignment. We're not sure what's going to happen with the Pac-12. How important is it to you for the Pac-12 to stay together? Or what are your thoughts on the whole conference realignment, I should say? Uh, you know, I- I'm really interested. I do think it'll probably, I mean, this is just the beginning. There's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up. Some of it's not going to be true. Some of it's going to be true. Some things are going to be surprises, much like Texas and Oklahoma kind of keeping secrets for a year before they made this jump. But I think it's all going to eventually settle down. Um, I think it's going to calm down. I feel very comfortable because of that process we talked about. For us, we're going to be pretty well insulated. Um, the people that are looking for Stanford, Stanford's not going to change. We're still going to be the best uh, the best education you can get and play Division One college football. So I think we're going to be okay. Um, I do think as far as the conference is concerned, we have a lot of natural rivalries that I would hate to see get broken up. Um, you know, in particular, us Northern California schools, us and Cal and, and Stanford or, uh, and USC and UCLA, like the four of us are kind of very, very intrigued about our long history of playing against each other in every sport, not just football. I'd hate to see those things break up. I think we've had not, not a great rivalry. Uh, over the last, you know, my, during my tenure with both Oregon and Washington, you hate to see those rivalries go away. Um, I'm sure some programs are going to look to do what's best for them and we'll see what happens. But by and large, I think the conference should pretty much remain the same. The only question I have is who's going to look out to, to, to join our conference. That's what's going to be interesting with, all, with some potential moving pieces. But I love being on the West Coast. I love the conference. Whatever it all shakes out, hopefully, especially us four California schools can stay together. Um, and continue those rivalries. George Kliakoff is the new commissioner. And, you know, he didn't get a chance to ease into the job. He clearly has, you know, has was thrown in the deep end immediately. Um, what have you had any d- discussions with him? And um, like, what do you think that some of the top conference priorities should be aside from this name image and likeness. I'm I'm sorry, aside from the realignment situation. Yeah. He's had a very interesting first month on the job. Uh, George, George is great. Um, Never met him before. Never heard his name before he was announced as our commissioner. Uh, But we just came off of our media days and we had an opportunity as head coaches to meet with George and he impressed us all. Um, He's on top of it. Um, He's got our best interests at heart through his effort. He's done a great job communicating his intentions. So I feel great about that. Now, the the realignment kind of got dropped on his lap. Big thing, you know, the big thing for us is the negotiation of our next TV deal, which will be over the next couple of years. Um, Those are two big things. I think he's going to keep him tied up uh, and and probably sleepless for a while uh, because they're two pretty big things that will really affect our 
immediate and, and long-term futures. So um, I like where, where, where I've heard from, from, from George. We're in a strange time right now, but at the same time, college football is popular as it is. And the prospects for our, con- our conference in the next couple of years are pretty exciting. So um, I'm, I'm excited to have George leading the helm. Stanford is a is a special place. And I got a chance to, after I finished my NFL career, take a couple of grad courses there that the NFL had put put on. And you, you can just feel the energy that like the only way I can explain it to people is that when you walk on campus, you feel this energy like something's going on, like it's like a buzz. That brings me to name, image, and likeness because all these schools are pitching their name, image, and likeness plans for the for the kids. All of, all of this, but I think that Stanford is probably uniquely positioned with the type of kid that goes there, and also the connection to so many Fortune five hundred companies and all of this to maybe direct the name, image, and likeness in a different way than some of these other schools are doing. What are you guys doing at Stanford? Well, first and foremost. Um, education, helping guys understand the landscape, um, making good connections with the right people, um, to making the right deals uh, for the right monetary value. That's the biggest thing I think any of us can do in this area is really helping young people make the right decisions. Because uh, so far, some guys have not made great decisions. They've signed away their rights for too long. Um, all these other things that are going on. Um, another thing that we're trying to do here at Stanford always, but especially in this NIL uh, period of time here, is concentrate on things that are real, right? There's a lot of things out there that aren't real. There are a lot of things out there that are, that are, that we're going to just go into vapor uh, over time. We want our guys making long-term decisions, uh, things that are going to affect themselves going down the road. So um, making the right connections with the right people, deciding to do the proper NIL deals and doing them the right way in such a way that you continue to make yourself more marketable. Um, there, sometimes the, the fast buck, sometimes the, the dollar that's a little bit bigger than the other dollar, Sometimes those aren't long, good long-term decisions. They're very temporary. Um, so we talk about our guys using their own social media as advertisements for themselves. It's not the place to quote rap lyrics. It's not the place to tell what, which restaurants you like, which ones you don't. It's an opportunity to talk to the public every single day to make yourself marketable. So that's the thing is your own, your own, you are your own best uh, advertisement. Um, so using the tools at your, at your fingertips and the power of social media to put yourself in a position to be a marketable asset to someone who may want to come engage with you. That's the most important thing. It's not just, hey, I play football here and now this person's going to give me money. That's short term. That's not real because God forbid you get hurt. God forbid you don't play well and you get benched, right? That, that's, that's not what you want to hang your hat on. I'm going to hang your hat on something of, of who you are and what you're about. Um, that can be, yes, as a football player, part of your identity, but then also who you are off the field. And now that transitions to an actual true money stream, uh, a financial asset to your life as you go forward and not just some short-term uh, quick and easy dollar. You guys, we're on with Coach David Shaw at Stanford. Coach, I have two quick questions for you before I let you uh, go. The uh, the uh, first thing has to do with, um, you were quoted in the uh, Peter Thamel article about Arizona State. And about the things that have been going on there. I've talked to other coaches. They said it was an open secret about what, what had been going going on. But the question for you is, what, what made you comment on the record about it? Because so many coaches, oftentimes, they kind of hide behind the shield of an- an- anonymity because they don't want to make waves in those situations. That's a great question. And I back what I said. I still believe it. We were coming out of pretty much the most difficult 
coaching season for all of us. Um, we all had rules. We all had restrictions. We all had things that we couldn't do. Um, we had an extended dead period, which means none of us could bring people on campus. Um, we had a COVID situation, right? So national health emergency. So we were really not supposed to be bringing people on campus. We we're supposed to try to keep ourselves and our student athletes safe. As you said, an open secret, it wasn't, wasn't that people didn't know. They did something wrong. They got caught. They're in the middle of the NCAA investigation. I'm not saying what's going to happen from that, but I would let my feelings be known. I felt offended, especially me being on multiple committees for our conference, for the NCAA, and trying to help set these rules so that we could all be on the same page and no one could have a clear advantage. Um, and for, for that to be pretty blatantly violated, I felt very upset and I still feel the same way today. That's understandable. Final final question for you, Coach, is um, so <laughs> there was an article written uh, last year where a writer was offended that somebody called Nick that a writer who co covers the uh, team called Nick Saban Nick. And but a lot of people do. And then you had Deion Sanders get upset about a coach calling about a reporter asking him, call, calling him Dion. So as a as a coach, I'm I'm a former player, so I kind of give everybody coach, you know, everybody who's in that position. But what what's the proper way to address Mr. Coach David Shaw? Um, I, I believe in making the big thing, big things big and the small things small. You know, you talk to me respectfully. You can call me coach. You can call me Coach Shaw. You can call me David. Um, guys call me D Shaw. Like, I, that doesn't bother me. Um, yeah, as long as you're respectful and I'll be respectful right back, I, I'm not going to put constraints on the way that people can communicate with me. And I have a title, but I also have a name, and I'm, I answer to both. That Thank you. Make I love make the big things big and the small things small. You guys, he's Coach David Shaw, Stanford football head coach. Coach, much success this season. Hope you win all of your games except for the one against my Oregon Ducks. <laughs> Good to talk to you, but no promises there. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you start, Ralph. What did what were your biggest takeaways from David Shaw speaking? Well, um, my biggest overall takeaway was that he really seems ready for anything because I think that was a rather unconventional interview of what you would expect somebody to, to ask a major college football coach. And, uh, and you, you were, you were taking him through the weeds of some, like, you have to be a deep fan, not only of Stanford, but of the PAC 12 as a whole to understand some of the stuff that you're talking about, the dynamics between teams and the modern issues outside of just the football that's being played on the field. Like And he was ready for all of it. And I know that you guys didn't talk beforehand. He didn't know what you were going to ask. So that really impressed me. And then the, the, the thing beyond that that really stands out is um, that he's just not uh, he's just not afraid to put himself out there and and um, address either criticisms and or things that he think needs to change. He really put himself out there. And and when you brought up that there's that criticism that his players leave after four years, even if they've got graduate, you know, opportunities, even if they're starters, it really sounded like he knows that criticism exists, but no one's ever really had the balls to to levy it to his face. And he knocked it out of the park. He was just waiting on it, you know, and, and he kind of thanked you for the opportunity to address it. And he was basically like, look, you want to judge us by who leaves our program? How about nobody leaves our program without a degree? 
can anybody else say that? And obviously nope. the answer is no. And that's the that's the wild part. The the but there was something that you said where you said that people don't normally ask those questions. And I'm like, shouldn't they though? I mean, like if you get a chance to interview David Shaw, that doesn't happen every day. So why would you just leave it to I mean, I wasn't gonna grill him, but it's not just a softball interview. It's an interview where I'm going to ask you real questions that I think that people really want to know and that I I have. So like what what do you so what did you mean by that part of it? I just mean that I pay a lot of attention to what the coaches in the Pac-12 are doing, what they're saying, what questions they're being asked, what interviews they give. Um and the stuff that you're asking him about in this interview is pretty in the weeds stuff. You bring up the the offer disparity, which it takes a special level of fan that is a interested in recruiting, b interested in conference related recruiting, uh, and c is into the like really niche rules of like private school academic standards. So like we're, we're getting, we're getting super into like, this is the, this is the real red meat for the deep football fan. And, and those are the type of questions that you're asking. And that's not something that they're just going to get from a, from a beat reporter um, per se. And it's definitely not one they're going to get in a press conference situation. And then, you know, you're, you're also asking him um, about things that could be considered a criticism of his program, which is that players leave with eligibility left on the table. Right. Why are so many players leaving with eligibility left on the table? It's something that we've kind of criticized. Just like how are you going to be able to keep the talent in your program if you have guys like Casey Tucker and Henry Haddis leaving for ASU instead of possibly being starters for you for the for the fifth year that they'd be eligible? And he's able to, um, you know, despite the fact that I don't think that that's anything that anyone would really ask him about because those players are gone. Like they probably more so focus on the present and the potential than the stuff that already happened. That That's just my take on it. I don't see a lot of people asking those types of questions. What did you think about his answer? Because I, I thought it was fascinating where I asked him about Arizona state and their situation. And he basically was like, I stand by, I, I said what I said, homie, <laughs> you know, I still stand, stand by it. They're cheaters essentially. And they get what they get. And I actually really like that because I think so many times coaches and people, athletic directors, they want to say things, but then they don't. And they hide behind anonymous quotes. And David Shaw was like, "Mm, nah, nah, fam, I'm going to go ahead and say it with, with my chest, which then makes me think back. Remember a few months ago we did the show and we were trying to guess who made the anonymous quotes. I don't think right. it was David Shaw now because he he clearly is like, I'll, I'll, I'll put, put my name on it if I say something. Yeah, that show was a really, really long time ago. And we were trying to figure out who would who would have cursed and said the F word in an anonymous quote to Bruce Feldman. We did like a deep conspiratorial dive on that whole thing. And uh, and yeah, and you had said you had said that uh, we both had speculated on the possibility of it being David Shaw. And you're right. He has no reason to be anonymous. And Ed, this is like uh, first I'll get to the Arizona State thing, but his salary, um, his salary numbers dropped publicly. 
You saw that, right, George? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. had in twenty twenty. What did he have? Eight point nine million dollars in compensation. That might have been 20, the twenty nineteen football year. He he okay. made up to eight point nine million dollars, and uh, I think that's the kind of money that you're you, <laughs> that if they fire you for something you say, you're you're not going to starve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and they did say that some of it was re- retention bonuses and stuff like that, but but still. Eight point yeah, nine hey, mil. And, it's good to it's good to know that losing season two. <sighs> yeah, but it is good to know that somebody at least was making enough money to uh, to help the Pac twelve out if they needed uh, to make a rent payment. Right <laughs> on, Dude, on the I, San Francisco. I, I, I actually, there was one question that I didn't get a chance to answer him. Ask him because we ran out of time, and that was that he's been suited or courted by so many NFL teams throughout the years. Why stay at Stanford? Well, I think that the news that dropped, it would tell you like that if that that's a really good gig, not just uh, for molding young men, not just because it's your alma mater, but also the compensation's probably not going to be beat. So um, yeah, he's getting sec money. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, good for him. Good for him. But yeah. I, to bring up the Arizona state thing, I, I was very interested in the part where he confirmed that, like, I mean, we all knew. And you and I have said that <laughs> when he used the word open secret. You know, you and I have said that. But until you hear it from a head coach of a, uh, of a football program in your conference, maybe you don't take the word for two people who are media commentators, right? Maybe you don't. But when David Shaw comes out and said, like, like you said, open secret. It's not that they it, like that they were flagrant about it. And he has because you wouldn't speak about it in those terms if there was still a possibility that there was no wrongdoing. You wouldn't yeah. say like they they got caught. Now they're under investigation, but they got caught like he's acknowledging that th- that it has to be true. That's you know? a great point. That's a really, <laughs> really great, great point. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed the David Shaw interview. You guys make sure that you leave a, a review, leave a five star review, that is, and um, shoot us an email. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com or shoot us a text message, 818 293 7547. If you want to, if you have a comment or you got something to say. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, to, to move on, though, the, the conference also put out it at, at Pac-12 Media Day a week and a half ago. They put out, uh, no, no, a week ago, they put out their media picks. And what, actually, before we, actually, yeah, no, no, no. Let, let's just tell them the media picks, Ralph, and then yeah. our particular picks. Okay, so the media picked the North Division uh, to to have Oregon come out of it. There were 38 first place uh, votes. I think there's 60 total uh, media or 40 total media ballots. They got 38 out of 40. Washington had two. Um, And then number three in the North was Cal. Number four, Stanford. Five, Oregon State and Washington State actually picked to finish last in the North Division, which might be the biggest surprise of all of this. In the South Division, 27 of the 40 votes go to USC, and they get the number one spot. Utah had six, and Arizona State had six. But in overall points, Utah finished ahead. So Utah was predicted to be second in the South Division, ASU to be third. UCLA actually got one first-place vote. Don't know who that was from. Uh, but they uh, finish. <laughs> was it? <laughs> but they finished fourth, and then five Colorado, six Arizona. Okay, so where do you believe? Well, do do you have a problem with any of their picks? I don't have a problem with anything that that comes out in the media poll because you have to carry in the idea that most people who are voting on Pac-12 related things basically understand about 80% of what's going on with the team they cover, 50% of what's going on with the team's rival, and 20% or less with the rest of the conference. So I never really put too much stock into it to say that they did something blatantly wrong. I think that it's feasible. I do think that the media has a tendency to punish teams that are involved in things that are outside of uh, being football related. I think that Washington State is clearly not the worst team in the North Division, but I think think because Nick Rolovich wouldn't get vaccinated, media members were assuming the whole season was going to fall apart. So who do you think is the worst team in the in the uh, in actually give me your order of finish in the North? In the North, I have Washington winning the North uh, title. Okay, Oregon. You're already off to a terrible start, but okay. All right, I feel you. Oregon at number two, Stanford at number three, Washington State at number four, 
Cal at number five, same record, but I believe Washington State gets them head to head, and Oregon State at number six. Oh my God. Okay, so actually, let me let me pull up the article that you wrote. So R- Ralph wrote a really extremely detailed um, recap and all of this from Pac-12 Media Day, including his predictions and all that. Ralph has Washington going ten and two, ten and two, and then Oregon going eight and four. What? How could you do this, Ralph? How how does Oregon go eight and four? How? Um, well, I did write this before it, it became evident that they might not have a couple of their uh, starting defensive backs um, <laughs> uh, due to, to personal conduct issues. Uh, but I do. I just I, I do. It's an it's not an Oregon thing. It's n- and nothing to do with your ducks, George. It is an Anthony Brown thing um, that that's my thing is I don't think they have the quarterback mm. to get this done this year. I talked to Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead is extremely bullish on Anthony Brown. Oh, I know he is. And that's why Tyler Shuck is 1,500 miles away. Yeah. And, and he said that the practice has, has really demonstrated and confirmed his beliefs. And also, if you if you think about it, he talked about only about 25 percent of his offense was in last year. Only 25 percent. And we're talking about offenses that have been tremendous. So if if that all comes together, bro, they're they're looking at not only a an 11 and one season, but a potential undefeated season as well. There is potential for that, obviously, that Ohio State hurdle is a a, a big one, buddy. Um, but for for me, I have Oregon finishing first in the North, Washington finishing second. No, no, I'm sorry, Stanford finishing second, Ooh, Washington wow. finishing uh, third, Cal finishing fourth, Oregon State finishing fifth, and Washington State finishing sixth. Man, you you're a Washington State doubter as well. Yeah, and it's not because of Nick Rolovich. I think he's a wonderful coach. I just think that they, it's a tough situation. You know, I I I think that I think that they are in the tougher division because Oregon's going to be good, Washington's going to be good, Stanford's going to be good. Cal's gonna be Cal's gonna be a tough out too. Cal exists. Yeah. <laughs> you you ran out of stuff to say there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're gonna be a tough out. And then Oregon State's just gritty. So I while Oregon State's defense is gonna let them down a lot, maybe I can flip flop Washington State and Oregon State. I think that that's where we are with with the North. Um, but you're funny, though. <laughs> In the article, he says, I'm sure George Reister will hate this, but if I picked Oregon to go undefeated, he'd probably find a way to criticize me for saying Oregon wouldn't hold every opponent scoreless. So he's going to be mad anyway. Wow. Um, so in in the South Division, you picked Arizona State to go 11 and one. I did. Yeah. USC to finish second at 10 and 2. 
UCLA eight and four at three. Big on U- UCLA this year. I'm like big it. on them too. Um, UCLA, uh, Utah eight and four fourth. Colorado three and nine fifth. Arizona two and ten six. A strong two and ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I actually think that Arizona is going to have a better. I think that they're going to have their records going to suck. <laughs> that man is tricking us. We are falling. We are falling under Jed Fish's spell. <laughs> just like the recruits, it's, bro. It's yeah, just like the recruits. It's the same roster as last year, dude. It's the same roster as last year. Okay, I just I also feel the same way you feel. Like even was like, man, is there a path to six and six? Like I was, no, I was no, no. running through right. it in my mind. He had me. He has me excited to just see where things go. I just love his personality. I love how wrong I would be if they did succeed. Um, I love how all of the criticisms of his hire actually have been addressed in the way he's run the team so far. <laughs> like he he's had more allegiance to the alumni than anyone I've ever seen uh, in, in the Pac-12. And so um, and he's basically just running TED talks through there every single day on different social issues. He's given uh, these media interviews to where he just tries as hard as he can to be super relatable, posting selfies with the, you know, Ca- Catalina foothills uh, behind him while he sits in the swimming pool. He even uh, name dropped Dave Portnoy today in a in a press conference. He's he's definitely trying to get people hyped up. He knows what the people like. He's taking advantage of his opportunity, but it's the same roster as last year. And I just have to keep telling myself that because if not, I'm going to be like, you know what? They might win this thing. No, I was trying to give him four four wins. Okay. Um. Yeah, I was trying to give them four wins, man. Um. Yeah, I, I can't give them any more than uh, that. But explain your Arizona State eleven and one to me, because I, I just don't see it. Especially their Martin controversy. Okay, who knows who, who, what's going to be left of their coaching staff? We we haven't we didn't see much from them last year. Obviously, USC is more talented, but you they might are. Not. University of Arizona saw plenty. Yeah, I, I I think that we see a a nine and three UCLA or nine and three Oregon. I'm Oregon, not nine and three Utah. Win win the South or even a nine and three USC. I just don't see Arizona State. I think Arizona State finishes the season with three or four losses. Okay, um, I would. Th- this is everything that went in, that factored into uh, me saying that third year quarterback which is usually the the point at which a quarterback who's already shown flashes really comes into their own, right? So you have a you have a third-year quarterback that most people consider to be a top 3 quarterback in the conference. Uh you have a uh experienced offensive line. Everybody on that offensive line has played extensively. Um and they have depth. You have quite possibly two of the best five running backs in the conference in Diamante Trainum and Rashad White. So you have to factor that in. The receiving core underperformed last year, but had a really, really high pedigree and added Bryant Thompson from Brian Thompson from Utah, who is a legitimate deep threat and can replace the production that they didn't get from Frank Darby last year. So they can continue to, to install and run a lot of the same things that they had planned on running. 
and the one giant weak spot on this team was tight end, and they received two graduate transfers and retained the talent from last year. So offensively, I feel very, very strongly that they'd really have to be the one to screw it up, um, and a lot of it hinges on Jaden Daniels' health. And then defensively, everybody comes back, and they looked great. So if everybody comes back and they looked great, uh, what am I what am I supposed to do with this team? It's that's my biggest issue with Oregon is a lot of it has to do with can we plug and play for Lenore for Thomas Graham? Um, I know Holland didn't play. I know that um, you know there's a lot of guys that opted out and everything like that. But are are they experienced enough? Was my biggest question with them. And if I'm overvaluing experience, then I have to look at Arizona State and be like, whoa, it's literally everyone. And unless one of your coordinators gets fired in the middle of the season for who knows why, then there shouldn't be an issue. Okay. Well, what did you make out of, what do you make out of USC? Because there is the Clay Helton factor, but we don't know if Keaton Slovis is back healthy and being able to throw the ball with any zip and velocity again. They haven't shown any ability to run the ball, which will ultimately come back to haunt them at some point in time. They have built a nice seven-on-seven roster. They have wide receivers, DBs, but it's the linebackers and interior guys on the line that are the question. Obviously, they got Corey Foreman, but he's a freshman. So what what do you make of this USC team? I like them. I think that uh, they'd obviously be disappointed by not winning the uh, the conference outright. Um, I, I can't remember who I have them losing to. Arizona State is one of the two losses. And I, I, I want to say it was possibly either – it might have been Notre Dame. It might have been – those might have been their only two losses that I, that I had them down for. I think that they will perform well this year. I don't trust the offense. I do like the personnel. At wide receiver, even with Brew McCoy being kicked off the team, um, they – graduated some incredible players last year and then just immediately restocked. They got Katie Nixon in and Jake Smith, a healthy Jake Smith is potentially a top five offensive player in the conference today, today. And, and, and he just wandered into their program recently. So, uh, you know, I don't think that they'll miss brew McCoy. They have talent at running back. They're not really using it. That would also be my biggest criticism is if you can't run the ball, you can't always, um, put a stranglehold on the on the outcome. But then I look at the defensive side of the ball, and I trust that if Isaiah Polamau's healthy, he's going to have a ma- massive breakout year. The only guy on that defense that I don't really trust to do their job, because I think that uh, um, your boy will make an impact as a freshman, regardless of his age. And I really think that Drake Jackson is the only person that can challenge Kayvon Thibodeau for the defensive player of the year in the conference. But if, if, if Isaiah Polamau holds his own out there playing center field uh, from the safety position, I think that they can make enough plays, get enough turnovers um, to make up for if Chris Steele makes a mistake here and there, uh, and and they'll get a lot of wins. I like USC this year. I understand that USC fans would look at ten and two, especially if ten and two doesn't mean winning the South, and consider that a failure. But I, th- this is I'm just judging it based off of what I see. No, that makes sense. I, and how much do you think Clay Helton factors into this? Um. Like, like how many losses is, is, is he worth? I don't know because that, it, that 
offense and the defense is pretty much out of his hands. Right? Like he's he's kind of in a position where it's going to be his decision making in crucial situations um, that will ultimately factor into certain things. But if they're losing, you know, I don't even know why we're talking about it. it. They could win out and he would still be hated. But if we're talking about the actual culpability of the people who are calling the plays, it's not him. So, you know, he might be fired if they go undefeated at the, at the end of the year. <laughs> he might not have any control over that because he's just universally disliked and they have a new athletic director. But, you know, I, I think that the actual culpability, like this is going to be a really big year for his staff to be able to position themselves to either succeed him and or get opportunities elsewhere. Because I think everybody there knows there's not really a road to redemption for Clay Helton outside of maybe three national championships in a row would get some of the USC fans (laughs) off his back. Dude, one, one will get USC fans off, off of his back. It's not going to take for the summer for the summer. And then if they lose their opener that next year, they'll be calling for his head. Of course. Of course. I mean, their, their schedule is not exactly easy either. Um, they and obviously for uh, them beating Oregon is crucial, which which for USC fans hurts their feelings for that uh, that they have to say, oh my god, we we have to beat Oregon like that that they're like we're above that. Um, but I've gone on their message board; they're not exactly a hundred percent sold on this San Jose State game, game one. And then there's the Notre Dame game at Notre Dame, which is all you still have. That's because you still have a bunch of fans that are rooting for them to lose to San Jose State. (laughs) And they got BYU at the end of the year, too. All right. This could this is feast or famine for USC feast or famine. Um, hold on. Uh, the the website guy just pinged me right now. Asked me if I could hop on super quick. Can we pause just for a second, because yep. so I can tell him, because he said he has all type of questions, so he can get everything done before yes, tomorrow. All right. Yep. Since we both have decided that USC has some has some issues, and we don't know quite what they're going to be, let's get on to who the media picked for their all Pac twelve teams. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never 
going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you if you haven't seen them, we'll put the art the link to the article in the show in the show description, so you guys can go check check that out. But uh, Keaton Slovis, first team quarterback, Jaden Daniels, second team. Jarek Broussard and Mike Bor- Max Borgie on first team for running backs, and Rashad White and C.J. Verdell on second team uh, for wide receivers. Drake London, Kyle Phillips on first team, Johnny Johnson and Britton Covey on second team. Kate Otten, actually, I probably should have said where some some of these guys are, guys are from, but uh, Kyle Phillips is from UCLA. Drake London, USC. Johnny Johnson, Oregon. Britton Covey. Utah and the uh, tight ends, Cade Otten from Washington and Greg Dulwich from UCLA. We won't even get into the linemen only because, you know, people don't know all of those people all the time. But who do you have a problem with any of those on first and second team? Yeah, uh, Max Borgie, um, who you love, I like. Um, you have to understand if the media believes that you are going to finish last in the Pac-12 North, they're also not going to give you any postseason honors. Mm. So those two things just they don't go together regardless. And th- then I have to look at my own personal picks and say, well, who who would go there? And if I'm believing that Arizona State's going to have the best record in the conference, do I really believe that they're not going to have a skill position offensive player? Not on first team? No, I don't. And I think the thing that would carry them there is their running game, and I believe that Rashad White is the most talented running back in the program. So I'd have Rashad White first team over Max Borgie. Um, I do not like that Travell Harris isn't on first or second team, and I would even put him over Kyle Phillips uh, in, in the UCLA slot to where it would be Drake London and Travell Harris being the top wide receivers in the conference. And I know that that goes against what I said about, you know, it, it makes sense that they would leave Travell Harris off because they don't have Washington State really winning any games. But why have Max Borgie on there if that's going to be the case? I think Washington State's going to be better than the Pac-12 media believes they're going to be, but I don't think it's going to be Max Borgie-based. I think Travell Harris is going to be their guy, and I think he makes Pac-12 uh, first team. I agree with you about Max Borgie, because, for, but for a different reason, even though your reason is valid. And that probably is part of my reason as well, is that if you pick them to finish last, how is he going to end up on first team? But right. then the other part of it is 
Washington State doesn't run the football like that. So unless that doesn't mean that he's not one of the better players in the league, I just don't think he's going to have the stats to support him being on first team unless he catches a, a hell of a lot of passes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think he'll be on first team. Um, yeah. And the the thing that stuck stuck out to me probably the most is that the media picked Oregon to finish first by a wide margin, right? Right. In, in the North Division. And then in the South Division, they picked USC and Utah, right? Right. Uh, but USC by a pretty wide margin as well. And when you look on the media teams on first team, they have Keaton Slovis and Drake London, which which makes sense, right? And kind of correlates to them having uh, being picked to finish first in the South. And then on second team, USC's got nobody. And then if you look on first and second team, they have one offensive lineman from Oregon, Alex Forsythe on first team, and Johnny Johnson on second team, the wide receiver, and... Uh, C.J. Verdell, the running back, on second team. Now, do you think that that correlates with a team that is picked to run away with the North Division? No, of course not. Of course not. So that and and that typically happens to to Oregon. They don't get the love on on some of these teams like other like other teams do because there is. But that's usually the voting done by the coaches. And then on first team defense, they have Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Mike Tafua from Utah, Thomas Booker from Stanford, defensive lineman, um, Jermaine Lole from Arizona State, Devin Lloyd at linebacker from Utah, Drake Jackson at linebacker from Utah, uh, Nate Landman from Colorado linebacker, DB. Red defensive back, they have Mikel Wright from Oregon, Trent McDuffie from Washington, Chase Lucas from Arizona State, Chris Steele from USC. And then on second team, they have Tyler Johnson from Arizona State, Nick Figueroa, and uh, Tuli Tu. How, how do I say his? Says it? Tui Op. Tui Pelotu. Close. Yeah. Okay. From from USC, both of those guys from USC at Tui Tuipolotu. Yeah, Tui Tuipolotu. Um, Terrence Lang from Colorado, from D line, and the linebackers Noah Sewell from Oregon. Um, oh God, uh, Ulufushio from Washington at linebacker. Avery Roberts from Oregon State. And then at DB, Isaiah Polamau from USC, Makai Blackman from Colorado, Evan Fields from Arizona State, and uh, Verone McKinley from Oregon. Do you like the teams on defense? I only have one major issue with first-team defense, and I'm sure you could guess it. Uh, Chris Steele. Yeah. I'm just very curious. He's a penalty magnet. Right. I'm, I really want to know what they're basing that on, because if it's pedigree, then like, yeah, uh, that's fine. Unless it's in a year where there's so many good defensive backs in the Pac-12. I mean, you if we're going based off of pedigree and performance, you could have had Jack Jones on here. 
So like, I, I definitely do not like um, the Chris Steele first team pick because I don't know what it's based on other than the fact that he was incredible and super physically gifted at the high school level. But I don't think he's really shown it yet uh, to, to be deserving of that. I would slide Isaiah Polam out over on the first team and then genuinely debate whether Chris Steele was even on second team. Um, he probably should be honorable mention at, at this point. I would even go so far as to throw a dark horse vote in for Christian Roland Wallace of the University of Arizona, because I think that he's super physically gifted. And if he gets a decent year of coaching, he might actually do some decent things for for, for the Wildcats. But the Chris Steele thing, I just I, I don't get it quite yet. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I totally do. I, I think that it's a lot of hype based upon his five star pedigree. Right. And if we're going to give a hype nomination, then you, you probably there should be an Oregon linebacker uh, in the mix here, too. That was that was left off in Justin Flo. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now. Now, that's a fact. Um, and then for the specialists and I'm bringing up the specialists for a particular reason, we're only going to pay attention to the first team because they have for a place kicker, Jaden Redding from Utah for punter. Michael Turk at Arizona State, all-purpose Thomas Booker from Stanford, and return specialist Brent, Britton Covey from Utah. Ralph, do you do you have a problem with? Did you see anything weird with with, with what happened with the first team specialists? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Um, Michael Turk is probably not going to be in the Pac-12 this year as he just announced um, that he is transferring from Arizona State after they told him that uh, unvaccinated players will not travel with the team, so he'd only be able to punt at home games. And if you remember, Michael Turk is really interesting in that he – I don't think he played high school football. He kind of came to ASU um, – without having any punting experience and quickly became one of the best in the nation declared for the draft, put up 25 uh, reps on the bench press, didn't get drafted, came back to college for not one, but two years after the NFL granted him a special waiver um, to, to reenter college after going to the NFL combine and then got in a little bit of trouble before this season started because when uh, Sarah Fuller, got in and played kicker for Vanderbilt and everybody was celebrating that he commented on an ESPN article saying, if I have, if I identify as a girl before the next game, will I be the first women to uh, play in PAC 12 football history? I don't think so, but given how we're taught in school nowadays and how our society views gender, I'm curious to hear thoughts. So he's always been outspoken and done some uh, un- unnecessary uh, um uh, political grandstanding for what his actual role uh, would be within college football. But this is his personal belief. And, and if he doesn't want to get vaccinated, uh, then it makes sense to me that he would uh, go ahead and, and, and move on. I mean, that's that, that's, that's that. I don't, I don't fault him for holding the beliefs that he holds and being so convicted that he'd be willing to leave his team right before the season starts. And I don't fault Arizona for, uh, uh, the state of Arizona and Arizona State University in general for saying, hey, we, we have guidelines internally that we want to stick to. Yep. What, I, I totally agree with that. Um, see, I wonder how many schools are going to be in that 
position because this isn't the first time that a kid has left. I, I forget what, what what school it was that every single uh, kid on the team had been vaccinated except for one. And then the coach told him like, hey, yo, that's that's not how we're going to operate as a team. I will help you find a, a new school that will accommodate your request and you and how you feel that you believe that things should be done. So do you think that that's right for schools to handle it like that? Um, uh, it's not really up to me, but it's, it's certainly how some people are going to choose to handle things is, um, is to put the pressure of the, of, of the group on them. If somebody is not really committed to this stance one way or the other, then you need to at least know where their head is at. What are you waiting for? If you're waiting, you, you need to get to the bottom of what their reasoning is for making one decision or another. If there's the possibility of them getting vaccinated based on something that you do or say as a program, then you're going to want to know because if you can have an influence and it would be easier for you, you're probably going to make whatever that move is. But if you test the fence and you find out that it's electric, <laughs> then you got yourself a situation like ASU has with, with their punter, who is arguably the best in the country. Um, and, and you end up having to depend on, they got a freshman from Charlotte and they have last year's, uh, punter from Florida state on the roster who actually got some games in, but I believe they're expecting him to kick. So, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be interested. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to, to hear what, uh, Mr. Uh, ride for the brand, um, Pat McAfee has to say, uh, about punters making the news in, in this way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's, he's like, uh, that ain't quite for the, for the brand player, not quite good for the brand. Uh, un, unless your brand is not playing football right now. And there are a lot of teams though. And this has come up in my son's high school team, because if you have a COVID exposure and you are unvaccinated, cause mind you, I did not want to vaccinate my kids. My oldest, 21, is vaccinated. That was the only way she was stepping foot back on LMU's campus. So, and she wanted to do it, and she's a grown-up. She's 21. So, she decided to go go do it. But for the younger kids, I was like, nah, fam. I mean, e even though I only have one that's eligible who's 15, um, he'll be 16 in February. And I didn't want to do it. And But if he gets – he's coming up on his football season. That's his main sport. If he doesn't get vaccinated – and he has a close contact, he's out 10 days, which could mean he could miss two games. He's a recruitable athlete. I don't feel like I have any choice right now, Ralph, but to get him vaccinated. He plays quarterback. Like, what else am I supposed to do? Right. That That's that's quite a predicament to be in as a parent. But like, like I said, if you're in that position where your reasoning isn't so much – fully principle based and it's more patience based then the systems that surround you are going to try to find out if there's a way to motivate that out of you. That's the environment that we're in right now. And that's, that's the environment that probably precedes necessity and mandates and, and not having as much of a choice um, as we, as we have right now. And I think that that's one of the things that for, for people who don't want to get uh, vaccinated and, and, don't want to see the government make decisions 
about their healthcare for them are afraid of and ironically are helping bring on by letting that stand in the way of them getting a vaccine that's probably not going to be as harmful to them as the virus would. And so it's just, this is a really complicated, confusing time we're living in and it's forcing everybody to make weird decisions. You know, I have, uh, my wife brought up the fact that two of my kids are vaccinated. Uh, I have a kid that turned 13 yesterday and a kid that, that, that turned 12 last month. They're both vaccinated. If the vaccine becomes available for, um, kids younger than that, then we know for a fact we'll get our eight-year-old vaccinated. But when it comes to our five-year-old who we have been sort of in a quasi-medical quarantine yep. with for the last five years based on her health, I don't I don't know. That, that would require another round of doctor consultations and serious conversations and stuff like that. I, I do believe that your health care should be your decision but we're in a pandemic. And so you need to get through the process of making that decision, right? You got to be in contact with doctors. You got to understand your medical history. You you, got to be as forthright as possible. You got to be as proactive in getting as much information as you possibly can, because you can sit back and wait. But if you sit back and wait, then some of these decisions might end up getting made for you, um, including and not limited to actually contracting the virus um, and having it potentially do damage. And so, Uh, These are really complicated times. These are really complicated questions. And for people who just act like it's a simple yes or a simple no, I've got a lot of questions for you. Yeah, because it's not because people do like you have medical conditions to consider. And yeah, it's it's just it's just not. But here but this is where we are right now. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, the next thing up, we have had um, multiple arrests over the last couple weeks that have really been of notable players in the Pac-12. First thing is Brew McCoy over at USC. Uh, he's been removed from all team activities. He was um, arrested on a domestic violence charge and a bunch of other uh, stuff going on as well. So his next court date isn't until November, I believe. So, or, or, the, or the end of October. Um, it doesn't look like he's going to be playing this season, right? I would I would venture to guess no because he was arrested for intimate partner violence which is it, it, with like intent to injure. And so the charges that are being pursued or at least sorted out right now are serious enough that to jail where, time could it could it could have happened. Where I mean at the at, at worst jail time could occur and at a at a bare minimum this is going to require um some level of of counseling or mediation uh yeah that so that and and that's big because if you remember brew mccoy couldn't decide between usc and texas i think went to usc transferred to texas and immediately transferred back Uh, i think he missed time with an illness that was never specified uh and then finally started to get some run last year in the in the covid shortened season um but you know he's a five-star caliber player and was expected to make a really, really big impact. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is definitely a situation where even if charges are dropped or the whole situation was misinterpreted or it was like a Richard Sherman Sherman situation where everyone just assumed that because he was arrested that he hit somebody, you know, um, unless, unless there's some type of explanation um, that, that comes out, I would not count on him being on the field at all this year. Yeah, and that goes for, I mean, we're talking about Chad, and th- this is bad for USC because they've had a bunch of this. Chad Wheeler, who got arrested with the C- Seahawks. He's a USC guy. Uh, you, you, you had Osa Messina, who was a U- USC player, got sentenced to one year in jail in Utah. The tight end who um, uh, he he was number 13. He was there for a little bit. He went to jail like there's there's been a they've had a bunch of this kind of going on. And I know that it's probably not indicative of the university necessarily and some kids making some bad choices. But this is not necessarily the the best look right now. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's not good. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if it necessarily is above and beyond what other programs, what other conferences face. I know that there's a lot of kids that come out of California that they, they got to get out of the lifestyle that they're in immediately or, or it could wrap them up. You know, the Jalen Hall thing of him going out to university of Oregon and then getting arrested for home invasions and and stuff like that. You know, he never got away from the life that he was living. Well, well, he he was doing home invasions when, when he was in high school though, he lived all by himself at uh, his last year at long beach poly. 
this, this is coming from somebody who was on Long Beach Poly staff. They were like, he was going to Paramount and these other cities thinking that they weren't going to notice a six foot five green eyed dude uh, and and be, be able to point him, point him out eventually. And mm-hmm. he went to school at Oregon for a bit. And, you know, he figured he was taking a pay cut by actually going going to school and then went right back to the lifestyle. Right. Right. And, and you know, that I think that a lot of it just has to do with if you if you leave people behind to go off to college, you got to leave them all the way behind, you know, or you can always make new friends and have them be knuckleheads like we just had with the two defensive backs from University of Oregon who were out joyriding and shooting at people with airsoft guns. Yep. And that's DJ James and um, and Jamal Hill. Like you're, you're talking about two starters, your corner and your nickel. And they could be facing suspensions. Um, I've I've talked to some people. They were like, ah, it might turn out to be not as big a deal as it sounds. But even if that like. That's the game before the biggest game of your entire season. And if they're suspended, you want them like that's a confidence booster game for you to get ready for Ohio State when you're out for Fresno State. So, I mean, I don't know if they will be suspended, how long they will be suspended. But whatever it is, this was a terrible, terrible decision. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, it it, it could have been boredom. It could have been malice. We don't know unless the players are kind of allowed to speak for themselves. It'll be interesting to see how Mario Cristobal handles that because obviously they were uh, counting on them to get some meaningful reps in Ohio State. Uh, TikTok, TikTok is uh, is coming up. That, <laughs> that, that's a, that's an understatement, buddy. That is an absolute understatement. Um, so if you were a coach, how, how would you handle these things? Uh, I do not believe in kicking anybody off the team. Um, I, if I was a head coach, I would have a program set up that is not completely cut off from athletics, but is athletics adjacent and is essentially a counseling and rehab and focus type, um, of protocol that student athletes go into based on whether or not they violate team rules and or the law and or just like, let's say that they throw their helmet down, walk out one day, come back three days later, still want to be on the team. Then they get put into some version of that protocol. I just believe in having something on campus that gives you the ability to work through issues with that student. So long as it does not involve the bodily harm or non-respecting of someone's bodily autonomy, um, in which case then that needs to go into the, the legal system and you have to let them take that from, from there. Um, but if, you know, if it comes out that, that the, uh, Eugene police don't want to, um, pursue these super serious charges that they have against these two defensive backs and, and they want to have them plead out on a misdemeanor or something like that, then that's something that I think is Mario Cristobal. You'd want to have something in place to say, all right, you're still, you're, you're associated with the team, but there's a built-in system that, in which you have to earn your way back. But there has to be some sort of consequence associated with it because 
they went out and shot someone in the face with a pellet gun. Yeah. Remember, though, when Nick Saban, when he came out and was talking about kids getting in trouble and that they deserve, you know, a second chance and not giving up on them and all of that. That's where I think that having a plan in place, because kids are going to get in trouble. There's no way around it. They're they're young. They are they think they're invincible. They make bad choices. And, and men, a lot of times, our bad choices are surrounded by, hey, hey, watch this. Like that, that's how men get in, get in trouble. Hey, watch this. Watch me jump <laughs> off this roof. Watch me do a flip. Hey, hey, watch me be super cool and punch this dude in the face. Watch, watch how, watch this. Watch us scare him with this, with this pellet gun. And we're going to fake rob everybody in the dorms. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I've, I've had it said to me that, you know, you know whether or not somebody's father gave them attention based on the level of attention they try to seek from others, right? And uh, and but then sometimes there's the opposite of that. Sometimes you got a dad at home and a mom at home that give you plenty of attention, and then you miss it, you crave it, and you go look for it in the wrong place. So it, I, I think people just want to be seen. They just want to be part of something. And you can have things get out of hand. There's also the other side of it. Some people are assholes out to cause misery. And you would just hope that they're not the latter. And if they are, that this is a wake up call to get their lives back together. You know, but then you turn around when it comes to Broom McCoy, your thought always has to be with the alleged um, victim before you even get to talk about whether or not you're going to you know, think about what's going on with, uh, with the person that's being accused of something. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Uh, before we finish out the show though, for anybody who missed the Reister or wrong episode, not too long ago, we, we put it on Twitter. We'll actually put it out on, um, on the PAC 12 apostles, Twitter as, as well. Um, Ralph, would you, would you like to tell people about the grilled cheese discussion? Because yesterday and granted, we've been on this podcast for a long time and I've detailed the horrors that is Reese's peanut butter cups. And I saw somebody had a Reese's cake the other day and I almost threw up in my in my mouth and then there and we added grilled cheese and tomato soup to the list because grilled cheese belongs better with chili than it does with tomato soup. You need to democratize that. I expect to see that in a Twitter poll um, and one that's not like built to specifically influence one person in one direction or another. I grew up eating grilled cheese sandwiches with tomato based soup. You obviously grew up eating grilled cheese with chili, which is technically a tomato based soup. I mean, it really depends, but yeah, it's definitely different. It's definitely different than a bisque. Some stag with some meat in it is definitely different than a, than a bisque. Um, I would say that we, we were raised different and I can accept that, but also objectively speaking you're incorrect and 
grilled cheese belongs with a tomato based soup, not chili. I'm sure you can eat it with chili and that's fine, but it belongs. It belongs with a tomato based. soup. Well, tomato soup itself, tomato bisque, tomato soup is probably the most overrated soup that you could possibly have. Well, you can't eat it. You can't eat it by itself. That's why you need the grilled cheese. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's overrated. Like, a, a grilled yes. cheese. Yes, it it is. It goes better with, a, like, a nice cheddar. It, and, and sometimes I even cheese crust the outside of my bread, too. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, but I no, I will give you, I will absolutely give you that the most overrated food in the history of the world is tomato soup. Like, thank it, you. It, but but it has its purpose, and you're going to take away its only purpose. I can't let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys can weigh in on this and everything else, you guys. This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Football season is here. We're back a week, not every week, a week. Make sure that you leave a five star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Share it and everything else. Peace out. Catch you guys next week. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.